Hi everybody, Dan and Andy here. We've got a couple of quick, exciting announcements before the show begins. That's right. We just want to let you know that this December, we are going to be playing two live shows, our final shows of the year, the Christmas shows. We're going to be at the Bloomsbury Theatre on the 10th of December, and we're going to be at our old stomping ground up the creek on the 14th of December. Yes, they're going to be so much fun. They're going to be Christmassy, as Dan says. There's going to be a live podcast in each of them, plus an extra bonus half bursting with your facts, with special festive things. Dan's going to do his tinsel twizzle trick. Um, James is going to eat a sprout. (laughs) And I will show you how to make eggnog. It's going to be a fabulous time. That's right. Uh, Cannot guarantee any of that will happen. However, (laughs) what we can guarantee is an awesome rock and roll night of nerd comedy. So do come along to that. And if you can't make it, but you're thinking, hey, I want to still celebrate Christmas in some way with fish. Well, we got some exciting presents for you. Yes, we have launched our new range of lovely merchandise. Mm -hmm. We've got beautiful new t-shirts. We've got a fabulous pin badge set. We've got the official fish book, which is a a gorgeous guide to fish, and it's full of facts and games and puzzles and articles and stupid stuff. We put that together for our tour earlier this year, and we think it's really great. All of these things are available now at nosuchthingasafish.com slash shop. There's a special bundle where you can get all three. If you are a fish fan, or if you have a fish fan in your life and you think they'd like this as a Christmas present, we think this makes the perfect thing. It's all available globally, and if you order it now, it'll be there in time for Christmas. That's right. So head to nosuchthingasafish.com. You'll find links to those two December live shows. You'll also find links to everything that we've just spoken about in terms of T-shirts and badges and bundles. Do get the show tickets. Do buy some Christmas items and do enjoy the following episode. On with the show. On with the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with Andrew Hunter-Murray, Anna Tashinsky, and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that the Ik people of Uganda are the standard textbook example of a selfish society where members only look after themselves. It turns out they've just been misunderstood this whole time. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah, it's so funny. And normally when you say something's a textbook example of something, it's just a figure of speech. And actually, these people are used in textbooks <laughs> yeah, they about are. selfishness. They are, by anthropologists. So uh, this comes from a study in the 60s by a guy called Colin Turnbull. He published a book that described these people called the Ick people, sometimes known as the Ick people, as extraordinarily unfriendly, uncharitable and mean. And he called them the loveless people. It was really quite, it makes quite bad reading. Yeah. Uh, But then later on, a few more anthropologists came around um, and they looked into what he'd written and found out that he was probably... One might have just made stuff up, but two, um, it was during a famine that he went to study them. And um, obviously, when you're under the stress of a famine, uh, you might act differently than you might do under normal circumstances. Hey, if I have a cup of tea not delivered on time, I turn into a monster. So <laughs> That's true. But this is, when we say a few years later, am I right in saying it was decades later yeah, it was. that finally... Because yeah. that, that's the problem. No one went back to study the Ick people and to find out that it was just they were having a bad couple of years, basically. He, he knew that. And actually, as a 
other Turnbull defender, mm. his whole thing, his whole thesis is this is an example of what happens to human beings when they're having a really bad time. He says, for instance, the ick like the rest of us are kind, lighthearted, generous and jolly when they can afford to be. But they were very hungry at this stage. Therefore, they had to abandon superficial oh, luxuries right. and be mean. Yes. So he's saying all humans are like the ick. We're all capable of this. But is he then also misrepresented when he made a suggestion to the leaders of Uganda that they should all be taken off to different bits of Uganda in groups of 10 so that they could effectively stop existing? Yeah, no, he's not misrepresented there. It's a bad idea. Okay, yeah. Cool. Um, in answer to your question, the reason why people didn't um, carry on studying them is because the Ick people themselves were really upset about this book. Yeah. Because uh, they were told about it and they didn't <laughs> why? trust Why? Yeah, exactly. Oversensitive <laughs> as well. Yeah. Uh, like, um, they didn't trust any more white um, people to come and study them at any stage for the next 30 years because of this one book. Yeah. I've got to say, the write ups they got were so extreme they were described as a haunting flower of evil in the corner of civilization's garden yeah <laughs> not good so lots of other writers then you know wrote wrote more about them um so there was a, a writer called lewis thomas who was a pathologist who wrote they breed without love and they defecate on one another's doorsteps i mean i am not surprised if someone had written that about me i would not <laughs> yeah. invite them around for decades was that, and decades was and that decades. in turnbull's book or did he just add the defecating on doorsteps that, as an extra? <laughs> i actually think I it know. might have been because um when then the, another person came called Bernd Heiner who uh, basically wrote the text saying everything that Turnbill wrote was wrong mm. um, he said that the Ick told him that if Turnbill was ever to come back they would force him to eat his own feces nice mm. that's a very good fitting punishment yeah. for what you've claimed yeah. eat nice. your words eat your turds more like uh, um, <laughs> it's so unfair because these are some of the poorest people on the planet yeah. is it you know if you yeah. lined up a yeah. hundred people they're right at the other end of it in terms of the resources they have and, and they couldn't do anything right to sort of rectify it other than you know because right. they stop people coming in other than the feces thing other than the <laughs> feces <laughs> thing you just gotta wait for that moment but I mean it's just like you know like whenever no such thing as a fish is mentioned on Google some of us have a, a ping that goes off and we see a mention right anytime they're like hey Ick you're, you're in a new book <laughs> are we really <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> they say about us <laughs> oh that stuff again yeah, yeah okay um, but then, then as, as James says it's sort of been disproved by other studies hasn't it and i think the latest one is by a woman called Catherine townsend yeah who she's cool looked at them uh and said they behave when you do the dictator test with them which is where you basically give someone in a group a bunch of resources i can't remember what they gave them uh smarties or something yeah sort of money basically. and it's about yeah. whether you share them with people and right? yeah you ask how much you want to share it with people and then they they did it in accordance with all other beings and so Catherine townsend's thesis is that humans aren't innately really bad mm. because as soon as the famine goes away this culture of niceness recovers so it's obviously always there it's just like in extreme circumstances you just physically can't do it anymore is it possible yeah. i don't want to slander the ick people at all but i'm just curious is it at all possible that when Catherine townsend went there that it would be like going to north korea and them showing you around going look at what a wonderful place this is and everyone <laughs> hang is hang on a second <laughs> wait rip off dan's mask oh my god it's colin turnbull <laughs> hello <laughs> Uh, I think they have other things to worry about than trying to ingratiate themselves to okay. Westerners. Turnbull gave some words in his work, um, like from the Ick language, uh, which is called Ichaitwad. But it turns out that a lot of the ones that he put in were wrong. And it appears that he went through his whole time with the Ick people saying a reply rather than a greeting whenever he met anyone. So it's like the equivalent of going down the street and whenever you see someone, you know, you go, I'm fine, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Which is very passive aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about me. Yeah, you just get on with your life, mate. <laughs> Maybe that's why they were rude to him. And this is also so because he, he claimed that the person, Lomeja, who was a guy who he hung out with a lot and who taught him the ick language, and he said uh, Lomeja is an example of a true ick. He's like a fundamental ick person. And then Heiner, when he came back, you know, 20, 30 years later, said Lomeja, uh, they told him Lomeja was not an ick person at all. Mm. He'd come from a completely different tribe. And oh, actually, no. about half the people in Turnbull's book come from different tribes. Oh, wow. So, and they said Lamasia couldn't really speak Ick very well. He could speak sort of passable Ick. So, God knows what kind of nonsense he was yeah. saying. Do you to want to learn yeah. some Iche Tuad? Yeah. Some words. What's that? Uh, this is the language of the Ick people. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, the word Dan. Oh. Do you know what that means? <laughs> cool dude. Is that is that feces? Uh, no. <laughs> We have our own bit of nominative determinism on this show. <laughs> can you give it to us in an English sentence? Replace Dan in and see Ooh, if yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Dan told me a fact and I replied to him, Dan. Uh, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it means exactly or precisely. Oh, um, what about this one? I looked over into the distance and I saw an Anna prancing by. Oh. Um, Drunk. <laughs> <laughs> They're not. They haven't based the language on us. <laughs> um, uh, I'll say gazelle. It's a male kudu. Oh, so pretty close. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what about this one? Uh, I poured some muzz over my plants. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, um, is it water? It isn't. It's a cactus-like tree which you burn and you use the ashes as fertilizer. Oh wow! Mm. Who is your stand-in next week? Actually, (laughs) (laughs) that's great. Um, This Colin Turnbull. I just want to, while we're sort of saying that he's not the worst person, because this does make him feel like he um, sort of absolutely ruined a group of people. He also studied a group in Zaire, a group of pygmies, and he wrote a brilliant book about them. And he did recordings of their music in Zaire of the pygmies. He collected some of their songs and he commercially released a few from other uh, tribes as well. Uh, But the one that he did with the Zaire pygmies um, was girls singing an initiation song. And that now, as a result of Colin Turnbull, is going to last for millions of years into the universe because it was included on the Voyager 2 golden disc. And that's down to, yeah, Colin Turnbull. But he probably mistranslated it and it's actually (laughs) saying, fuck you, aliens, don't come back. Earth invaded (laughs) due to (laughs) him accidentally including a reply instead of a greeting. (laughs) We're fine, thanks. We're good. The Eek people have some fun um, ceremonies, rites oh, of passage. Cool. Come on. Uh, so one is the beer of the axes, which actually is not that fun if it was me, but would be fun for you guys. And that's basically where to thank the men for doing all the farming yeah. and harvesting all the fields. They can demand beer from the women and they all go and gather in the big village centre. And then every woman has to bring this big vat of beer and all the men get to drink it. That sounds cool. Yeah, and I, I don't think, it doesn't say that they stop the women from participating, so I'm sure they can get pissed as well. There's another ceremony they have called the Blessing of the Seeds, which is, again, good for me, but not so good for the rest of you. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone goes to a special tree, uh, they bring their seeds for the year, and the seeds get blessed, and then again, there's loads and loads of beer, <laughs> and everyone gets to drink the beer, but it goes in age order, so the yeah. oldest person gets to drink first, and no one's allowed <laughs> to drink until the oldest person's had theirs. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's great. You're going to regret that because pride will make you down it all and in an hour's time you feel like an idiot i'm as young as i've always been so um 
Greek weddings. Okay. At the very start of the wedding, they have a thing called the smearing. Uh, can you guess what the smearing is? It's when you test for a cervical cancer, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it like um, an anointment? You know, because in the coronation, don't we smear our monarchs with yeah, some yeah. ceremonial stuff? That's pretty much right. So the couple sit side by side and they're rubbed with oil by an old woman. Lovely. So it's pretty much that. Okay. Uh, the bride then brings the groom to a tree and he has to throw a spear at it yep. and has to hit the tree. And then they go back to the house and the bride needs to make like a stew for everyone. So it's kind of to show that his skills are in hunting and her skills are in the household mm. stuff. Uh, and the groom has to pay a payment for touching the bride's breasts. Uh, is that a paper touch or is it a it's a like one-off, a one, it's, a one-off. <laughs> it's like all the times I previously touched them I'm paying off and now or is it I'm paying in advance and I'm going to get to touch these breasts forever I think the understanding is that you won't have touched them at that stage and you're paying for the opportunity to touch them for the first and hopefully future time the first and the last time thank you very much um, and yeah. you can't rent t- I don't think it's like a pay per month no, thing no. is it it's all at once I think it's two ninety nine a month but if you pay for the full year it's a little and if you, if you stick in the offer code fish uh, you'll get those breasts uh, for just one pound fifty a month. <laughs> um, just on selfishness, oh yeah, and um, the opposite, but mostly selfishness. Um, someone around this table probably going to be more selfish than the rest of us. It's you. It's well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Uh, uh, is it women? It's something to do with what's happened to all of us in the last twenty-four hours. Oh, uh, Dan had a full English breakfast before he got here. <laughs> Weirdly, it is Dan, but it's not because he had a full English breakfast before he got here. Oh, really? <laughs> it's, it's okay, listeners. You've just been let into some insight. Apparently, the most controversial thing I've ever done is had a full English breakfast before today's recording. Well, it's it's not because of your breakfast, Dan. That's okay. the good news. Um, so. <laughs> What else is Dan? How much do you know about Dan's last 24 hours? Do we all know this And what could possibly top my full English breakfast? (laughs) We can all surmise it by what we know about Dan. Okay, Okay, his hair's very scruffy right now. So are you saying, like, if you don't shower... Maybe it's not a showering thing. What Dan's done that I have. Have you? We've all done this in the last 24 hours, but Dan probably done a bit less than the rest of us of it. Sleep. Dan, you've got a new baby. Yeah. You've probably had a bit less sleep than us in the last 24 hours. Okay. I guess. I mean, you've got to, you know, create time for that full English (laughs) practice. Sleeplessness, we think, makes you more selfish. It makes you more hungry, I know that much. Yeah. But is it... <laughs> um, no, okay, so basically, there's a, they, they looked at this database of charitable donations, and yeah. they didn't do it with uh, individual surveys. They looked at three million charitable donations and the days on which they happened. Yeah. And one of the days was after um, the clocks changed. Oh, yeah. So, really? you know, you switch, you change yeah, the clocks, yeah, yeah. and, you know, half People the year you get an properly. hour less sleep. Yeah. And donations dropped quite substantially the day after... Uh, people wow. had just a little bit less sleep that's so that's really the theory you know because I always think you know those chuggers who try and get mm. money off you I always feel like if I have less energy to kind of walk straight past them then I'm more likely to give oh, them stuff so you're the opposite mm. of that I feel like it I might yeah. not be but less energy to walk if you're literally sort of collapsing <laughs> you can't put one foot in they front of the other they don't have a net <laughs> <laughs> oh they do like maybe three of them are coming from different directions it's like you know those is it um, humpback whales that they hunt by making bubbles around the fish so oh, yeah. that the fish can't escape that's how I feel with those guys actually on um, on animals oh, yeah. and selfishness yeah I, it's very hard to find out selfish animals because you try every way of googling most selfish animal and obviously everyone says oh humans are the most selfish animal yeah, aren't true. they and you know i think maybe we need to look a bit deeper so 
a deli penguins um i think do a funny thing which is disputed by a zoo that has them and insists they don't okay but deli penguins when they all flock to the water's edge you've probably seen them standing on the edge of an ice floe or something yeah. and they mm. all gather at the water's edge but they're all too nervous to be the first one to jump in as you would be because there might be a big old leopard seal or something yeah. under right. the water so you see them shuffling closer and closer and then they wait for either one of them to fall in to check that <laughs> they don't get eaten or they do sometimes push each other in and oh, you can see they? videos of like a with a bit... sneaky flipper on the bum kind That's of push so them in funny. a little yeah. bit of yeah tripping oh, haven't, over. yeah haven't we seen videos of a penguin putting its foot out and one tripping over as it's walking by <laughs> i feel like is that I've charlie chaplin that. That's charlie I actually chaplin. haven't but i want to <laughs> That's funny. are you guys uh do you guys give money to charity ever yeah, yeah. right no right. i refuse okay well this That's is a joke. <laughs> this if any, sorry, if the chuggers outside Finsbury Park Station are listening, no, I don't. <laughs> um, okay, so this is the really interesting thing. In aggregate, people don't tend to like charitable people as much as they oh. like other kinds of, okay so so does that mean i have to stop all my direct debit so that people like me i'm afraid <laughs> that's what's been standing between you and universal popularity oh, no. no this is a study uh, again yale and oxford this time around and it mm. was in 2018 and people were asked uh they were given some people and choices over whether they'd like to hang out with these people or not mm. right so um they created a scenario right uh, a granny has won 500 dollars in the lottery yeah should she give that to um, her grandson who needs to fix his car mm-hmm. right. or should she give it to a malaria charity mm. now mm-hmm. obviously overall it probably does more good being given to the charity but people were way more likely to say that if they were looking for a, a friend or a spouse or whatever they would like um, grandson car really? granny yeah it's interesting because wow. that 500 quid goes into a huge pot at the charity but then <laughs> to the guy who needs his car fixing it solves all of his problems yeah. immediately and it's it more doesn't pers- solve all of his problems <laughs> I bet he's got other personal problems well, he we don't know anything about that yeah. all we know about this guy yeah. is he one can, thing is that can, his car's broken yeah. no and you can finally drive to the malaria research institute <laughs> where he can continue his work <laughs> unfortunately there's no money to uh, fund his ideas <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that in 1797, an author was so criticized for the lack of punctuation in his book that in its next printing, he included a page at the end of nothing but full stops, commas, and exclamation marks for the readers to slot in wherever they liked. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a really beautiful page at the back. It's sort of all the full stops are grouped together it's in one giant It's better in the pair. audio book, that page. It's just like <laughs> silence. Like, how would you do an exclamation mark? You go, oh. Yeah. <laughs> how do you do a comma? <laughs> I can't work out how to pronounce that. There's just a lot of silence, no. I think, for the full stops and the commas, isn't there? Okay, yeah. Suddenly there's a, <gasps> <laughs> So this is a text, as the fact says, 1797, and it was by a guy called Timothy Dexter, who was an eccentric American businessman who led a life that is so bizarre that it's possibly in no way true. Um, (laughs) It's just someone who has had myth built upon him and so on. But one thing we do know for sure is that he published a book called A Pickle for the Knowing Ones. And it is a book in which he basically downloaded his brain. He just said, here's all my thoughts 
about things, my opinions and so on, but he failed to put any punctuation in, rendering it completely unreadable for anyone who wanted to make sense of it. So criticism came in and in the second printing, and it's a self-published book, by the way, okay. uh, the second run of the self-publication, he just added this extra page. Very funny. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Has any, I, I didn't read, I think I read a couple of pages of A Trickle for the Knowing Ones. I read a few censuses. Yeah, me yeah. too. Bloody hell. <laughs> but people seem to say it's a combination of total nonsense and some quite wise um, sort of observations about it's sort of about his thoughts on human beings mm. and how yeah. to live and all that stuff isn't it but one <clears throat> one write-up of it soon after it was written uh, said it was a jumble of letters promiscuously gathered together and that readers will find it difficult to determine whether most to laugh at the consummate folly or despise the vulgarity and profanity of the writer and that was in his actual obituary in 1806. Oh, no. Normally Ouch. they sugar the pill a bit. Yeah, but, no. uh, I know. I read yeah. the death notice in the Rutland Weekly Herald uh, when he died. <laughs> and it was really short. It just said he was a man of great property and a perfect ignoramus. <laughs> he literally just died, this guy. Wow. wow. Yeah. I wonder, like, the books of the time, this was published in 1802, but in the late 1700s, there were a lot of books that were kind of bizarre. And maybe was he following in a tradition of surrealism? Like, Lawrence Stern's Tristram Shandy was published in the late 1700s, yeah. right? Like, uh, yeah. um, and his book would have things like there'd be a blank page, or it would have a page that was entirely black, or there was a chapter entirely missing because he said, this chapter was so good, it just makes all the other chapters look bad. <laughs> so I've decided not to it include was, it. Yeah. Yeah. The message that he put the front of the new edition where he said I've put punctuation in the back is so full of misspellings you think it must be intentional <laughs> he says I put in enough like a space n-u-f um, yeah. and for some reason put that in quote marks which seems like a knowing ha ha mm. I'm deliberately misspelling that so I put in enough here that they may pepper and salt as they please p-e-p-e-r-s-o-l-t what a great position to be in as a human that just no one knows whether you meant it or not and it and it works in your favor either way, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you're really, really rich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which he was. Which he was, wasn't it, he? And yeah. how did he get rich? It's so confusing because he, <laughs> he seemed to make all these investments that works. Like, I think he invested in the first ever clay pipe making factory. Okay. One of his more mm. sensible ones that made money. He invested in um, some government bonds at a good time. But outside of that, he did bizarre stuff. Like the famous thing that was always written about him at the time is that he... Um, and I, th I think this did happen or it seems like people who remembered him said it happened at least is that he was persuaded by people pranking him to try and sell warming pans like bed, bed warming pans mm. to the West Indies and you know everyone thought ha 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 it's so hot there and also I think that he was, he was persuaded to sell mittens there and it was brilliant because he went and sold the warming pans and they had a big molasses industry and apparently they sold really well as ladles in the molasses industry to people who could scoop treacle into vats yeah it can't be true that bit can't, it's, it's <laughs> can't be true um, the warming pans also some red woolen pajamas went with him uh, and the story is that uh, there was a norwegian in havana who had a load of timber and he couldn't get rid of his timber. Um, but in Norway at that time, there was a real fashion for red woolen pajamas. And so he sold all of these pajamas for the Norwegians, swapped them for all this lumber, and then took the lumber a bit further oh. south where he could sell all that and made an absolute fortune from that as That's well. That's good. Right. I like that. Um, I read a book about Timothy Dexter 
um, for the research of this. And it's quite rare that you get to read a whole book when you're doing yeah. these weekly mm. shows. So that was very exciting. It's by William Cleves Todd. Uh, it's about 13 pages long. So <laughs> that was quite useful. But it was such a good read. It, it reads like an incredible New York Times article, this, mm. this uh, mm. book. Um, but one thing he mentions in the book is the house that he lived in after he started mm. making his money, which was in Newburyport, Massachusetts. And my God, outside the front of it, it's pretty spectacular. There were these columns on which he had wooden carved figures of prominence standing up there. So it would be George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, uh, him, he put himself <laughs> up there and claiming himself to be someone of huge uh, prominence. It looks really cool. It looks amazing. You can see obviously paintings yeah. of it. You know, people would stop and look, these giant wooden statues. Mm. And he seemed to have animal statues as well, like some dogs and what looked like some pigs. Hard two to lions tell. i believe as well <laughs> at the lions. front yeah um but then he see, did you see what he wrote under his own um no. big statue which is like the biggest one right in the middle was lord timothy dexter he always called himself lord uh, lord timothy dexter of newburyport massachusetts first in the east first in the west and the greatest philosopher in the western world so he was, yeah. a, he was wow. a humble guy. <laughs> he was a humble guy. And um, um, the thing about him calling himself Lord, sorry, on that, I only saw this in one place. It was in the Boston Globe uh, in 1921. But according to them, they said that Lord was his wife's maiden name. And so that's how he said, oh, you know, he was like, oh, I'm going to take her maiden name. I'm going to put it at the front of my name and I'm going to be called Lord Timothy Dexter. What a feminist. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's feminist. Really such a fraudster. And the story, which I'm sure you guys all saw as well, um, about his funeral oh yeah where America. he staged his own funeral for the benefit of the town because he wanted to see how people would react so he put it about that he was dead invited all the gentlefolk got someone to play a clergyman and then his <laughs> co got his coffin and his coffin was deposited in the you know family vault or whatever and he thought his wife had not played her part properly because she hadn't cried enough during she was in on it so she was mm. in on it she yeah. was yeah i read accounts where it was like oh she didn't cry enough and he was furious and mm. then and then he he beat her for you know um not crying enough actually he beat her for not acting enough yeah that she, i mean you know she didn't commit to the bit come on you've yeah. all got to be in on it I mean, and yes, it, it sounds great you've got you've gone to this funeral <laughs> it's been very lavish he had his coffin drawn in on a white horse pulled chariot Ooh. and then descending into the grave and then they have a huge <laughs> feast afterwards and then it was disturbed by yeah the sight of him and what i think was a bit of a pantomime it seems like i think it might have been a setup right um punch and judy style oh you think that was faked the... I, when, from what i was reading from he i think it was actually... with a load of sausages didn't he <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard to say but right. pe people who knew him say it might have been fake i mean all of it all of it seems to be made made up you yeah, know. Only that bit stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't eccentric. Sometimes he was a wealthy eccentric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right. it was true. I mean, yeah. the house was definitely true. I think yeah. the funeral definitely happened. Like, yeah. for instance, there's a thing from his lifetime I read in the Vermont Journal from 1801 talking about how he he had a boat and it needed staying. Okay, so it needs ropes, basically. Okay. It needs extra ropes. He didn't really know what that meant, so he went to town and he bought a load of whalebone. Uh, and then brought it back and gave it to the boat guy and the boat guy said well this is not i need the ropes i don't need whalebone and so he went back into boston and he said well i've got all this whalebone can i sell it to you and the thing was he'd bought so much that the price had absolutely rocketed <laughs> and so when he sold it back to the whalebone community he got uh -huh. double what he paid for it that's amazing that's very funny yeah. wow that's what i'm doing with ben elton memorabilia on ebay <laughs> <laughs> hoovering it all up and one day it'll yeah. be worth a is that fortune. is that because 
the ship needed staying, which I've never heard of. So that's a rope thing. Yeah, but yeah. stays is a word for the whalebone struts in a dress. I thought all the supports in it. Right? I think I, stays yeah. are in a corset, maybe. I actually couldn't work out how he'd made that mistake. <laughs> but yeah. I think stays are the bits in a corset, which... Uh, I really got confused. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Poor chap. There's a story as well that he heard that the King of England had a poet laureate. And so he thought, well, I'd like one of those as well. And so he hired someone just to follow him around and just to capture <laughs> his daily wisdom and to turn it into... Pros, yeah. Again, um, that's, I mean, that's definitely true. Jo- Jonathan Plummer. Jonathan he sort of Plummer. became a famous person in his own right. He was a fishmonger, wasn't he? Really? Yeah, yeah, he was a fishmonger. And I think he ha- he made him wear a black suit covered in stars, which sounds so cool. It sounds very that wizardy. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was crowned with parsley. Yes, that's right. He sounded like a really sad character. He wrote an autobiography of his own about his poetry, and he described himself as persecuted despised and hated by everyone and suffering from such offensive breath that no one could go near him <laughs> occasioned by Qatar of the nose sorry did he write that in his own autobiography <laughs> yes. right. that's the author's blurb at the back <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he also um, he swore off young women after he wrote so many poems for so many young women he fancied and they all rejected him so he turned up vigorous and antiquated virgins as he described them but they actually all rejected him as well oh no they're too vigorous he should have gone less vigorous (laughs) you're a slightly anemic elderly virgin passive yeah (laughs) you're sure about this you're sure about this dating uh, profile are you (laughs) Uh, just on uh, punctuation, as yeah. this is about his um, Timothy Dexter's yeah. inserted punctuation. Um, so, I didn't know that Aristophanes invented punctuation, but not the famous Aristophanes. That's oh. a different guy. The playwright who wrote The Clouds and all that Bingo. stuff, right? No, yes. Not someone, him. Someone completely different, yeah. Wow. 200 years later. I know. What a fact. Wow. Your minds are evolving blown. <laughs> I can tell. Did that Aristophanes have any punctuation in his poem, or did no. this guy come along and put them into his... He would have his... been before, right? I think, actually, uh, punctuation Aristophanes is 200 years later. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. well, that's great uh, so Aristophan- because if that yeah. poem now has punctuation in it, that's a collaboration between two Aristophanes. Oh yeah, just two hundred years apart. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was really very basic. His system. It was just dots you could put at the top or the middle or a bottom of a line, and then th- they were pauses. Basically, they were pauses of three different lengths. Mm. But yeah. their names were the comma, the colon, and the periodos, and that's wow. where all those names Isn't come from. Cool. Isn't that cool? That is cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so then um, Isidore of Seville came along after that. The famous one, not a different one. Uh, and he kind of um, took Aristophanes' idea and kind of standardized it. Yeah. Uh, and he had a, a dot at the top of the line for a long stop, a dot in the middle of the line for a slightly shorter one, and a dot at the bottom of the line for a very short stop. Uh, and the one at the top sort of migrated down and eventually became a full stop. Mm. The one in the middle became the colon, and the one at the bottom became a modern comma. Oh, Hang on. wow. The one at the top leapfrogged the one in the middle yeah, yeah. to go to the bottom. It did. And do we have evidence over the hundreds of years of it gradually sneaking down one millimeter? I think we probably do. I think we do, yeah. Wow. How do we know that? Rather than doing that, it didn't bump into the other one when it got there and knock that one further down. Oh, it down. could have done, yeah, yeah. Um, they have some punctuation in the Quran, mm-hmm. um, even though in the early days of Islam there was no punctuation in Arabic. But the pausal signs are known as alamat al-waqaf, 
uh, and they are different types of stopping that will kind of make the text seem more beautiful because obviously the Quran is supposed to be a very beautiful when you say it, right? Mm. Uh, and so if you see different ones, it might say it is better to stop now. Uh, you may stop if you want to, or you absolutely must stop at this stage. So Which I think quite like that idea of punctuation where it kind of gives you advice rather than telling you what to do. Absolutely. Because yeah. I, I, I often think where the technical punctuation needs to go, when sometimes when you're trying to write something that's a joke, the mm. punctuation can really mess up the flow of the yeah. sentence. You think, no, just let me put the comma here. I know it doesn't belong there, but that's where you'd want the, the beat to be. Yeah. In you're your... a freestyler, not, yeah. a, uh, mm. not a pedant. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, You're yeah. a Dexter. A modern day Dexter. A modern day Dexter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do any of you... Serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It is time for fact number three. That is Anna. My fact this week is that Christians watch less porn on Sundays, but they do make up for it throughout the rest of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. You've got to even it out. <laughs> Is that what it meant in the Bible when it said that on the seventh day he rested? Is that yeah. what it's referring to? <laughs> yeah, because wow. you're knackered, aren't you, after six days of that? Yeah. Um, you obviously haven't studied Genesis that hard, but it's day one to six is all porn watching. Right. <laughs> um, I read this in the Joseph Henrik book, The Weirdest People in the World, which is a brilliant, oh, quite good, famous book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Joseph Henrik, the guy who came up with the concept of weird, uh, which is Western educated, industrialized, rich and democratic. And that's what every single one of us is and almost every single person listening will be. Sorry, that's not what it actually, that's not where we get the word no, weird no, from. No, He's no. just changed. No, yeah, got it. Sorry, got yep. It. Um, and it's all a book about how we base so much of our assumptions on human behaviour on what we are, which is all of these things. Um, and when I say rich, I just mean literally anyone who lived in a Western yeah, yeah. country that has a welfare state. So... Anyway, it's in his book, which is full of interesting stuff. And he writes a bit about um, monotheistic religions. And he says, yeah, that there was a study that monitored porn use across the United States. And in the more Christian states, then there was a big dip in porn use on a Sunday. And it sort of was still quite low on a Monday, but it gradually crept up throughout the week. And it was like reaching real highs the following Saturday. And then it plummeted again on the Sunday. And it averaged out as the exact same porn use as non-Christian states. So they just spread it out differently. Is there a real scramble on saturday night as you head up to 12 a.m <laughs> so, yeah, <quickly laughs> yeah get it out of the way <laughs> okay wow and this obviously is the sunday effect so i guess you go to church on sunday you get reminded that you have to behave very morally you're not supposed mm. to watch porn god doesn't like that kind of thing and then you forget about it don't you six days later yeah wow interesting mm. Pretty and amazing. similar thing happens with charity giving as well i think oh really with christians and muslims um what you don't do it on a sunday no, yeah. surely it would be the it's inverse. Yeah, you do do it on a Sunday. I mean, it is the other way around, obviously, okay. yes. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling so lovely and relaxed now. I think I can uh, make some charity donations. Great. <laughs> there was even actually a study in Morocco done which looked at um, when the call to prayer was audible, people would give to charity, but it would literally only last a few minutes. So gi- giving to charity really? would peak for a few God. minutes. Well, it's so suggestible, there, aren't we? That's amazing. Because <laughs> if you ran a, let's say, a cold calling thing for charity, you know, I'm ringing up from, um, you know, like, uh, I can't think of a single charity now. Uh, but if you played the call to prayer in the background, then that would presumably be a way of getting more people to give. Oh. Really? So if yeah. your car had broken down and you're ringing your grandmother <laughs> and saying, can I borrow 500 quid? You want to play them do the it, Do first. it outside the mosque. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Put that mosquito down, Granny. I... <laughs> wow. God, sorry, yeah. just back to the headline fact. I'm, I'm just picturing on Sunday all these guys at church sitting at the pews going, what'd you get up to last night? <laughs> oh, it's just at home. Um, yeah, me too. Uh, me too. Okay. Yeah. Where is it? Always the same. Uh, you may now shake hands with the person. No, thank you. <laughs> Um, so the Sunday effect is very powerful, mm. yeah. you know, and it's it's largely I think it's almost exclusively a religious thing. Is you know there's less of it secularly, but still, I mean, loads in this country, loads around the world. I found this in Tonga. You're not allowed to bake bread on a Sunday unless there's been a natural disaster. Is that right? Really? Yeah. Gosh. And this was a law passed in 2016. It's really strange. So it makes sense that stupid laws <laughs> like that go out of the window when you've got a natural disaster, yeah. doesn't it? Uh, Sundays have been messed up for me quite a bit due to religion uh, since becoming a dad um, because Mm. I like to take my boys on the weekend to toy shops. Oh, yeah. And one of the biggest, if not the biggest independent toy shop in the country is called The Entertainer, which is fantastic. Oh, it's yeah. got so many of all my favorite toys. Uh, sorry, their favorite toys <laughs> in there. And I didn't realize they sold limited edition Ringo Starr dolls still. <laughs> oh, it's a Ben Elton Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Imagine a Ben Elton Barbie. Please get onto it. Imagine. Mattel. Sh- shiny suit, um, old school microphone. Yeah. What oh, else? What about the Tory government? <laughs> in the 1980s. Pull the string on his back. Socialist opinions. <laughs> Perfect but, for any child. So it's shot on Sundays because mm. the creator of it, a man called Gary Grant, has made it so because he's religious and he yeah. doesn't allow for it to be. And also, you can't get Harry Potter toys there because he thinks uh, Harry Potter encourages witchcraft and that's very unchristian. So if you want uh, your Harry Potter toys, you don't go there. Because Harry Potter has been very big over the last you know decade, more than that, in fact. And the number of witches around has <laughs> gone absolutely through the roof. It's gone crazy. It's so awful. he's doing his bit. I, yeah. You can't walk 10 metres down the street. Before you get turned into a frog these days. <laughs> but he's from, So Gary Grant, the, the shop started in Amersham. He bought it from someone and, hmm. and took it over. Am- Amersham, we should say, outskirts of London. Outskirts of London, yeah. It's, in the, it's in the UK. It's in yeah. the UK. But um, it, I'd say it's not globally famous. Oh, okay. If yeah. there are like Eek tribes people listening, for instance, <laughs> it's unlikely that we can move Amersham. <laughs> so he's... Um, I looked into it just to see, is it a particularly religious place? So I looked at notable people okay. from there. So the people I found there are Tim Rice, who wrote Jesus Christ Superstar, and Joseph, and it's a very biblical sort of work. Katie Brand, the comedian, who used to be very religious. She used to talk in tongues and all that sort of stuff. Um, Cindy Gallo, who started a company called Make Love Not Porn. Uh, which is less religious, but on topic for the porn uh, not being yeah. watched here. And what is that? I think it's about sort of positive sex yeah, and personal exactly. sex rather, rather than, than yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. saying that you know sex is a wonderful natural thing and it's and it's you know good for you, fun, it's loving and it can be all these wonderful things. Yeah, yeah. okay, okay. And she sells stuff in the entertainer. Does she? <laughs> she's yeah, <laughs> she's she's got the dolls. They're quite a lot bigger than the Ben Elton Barbie. But, um. And then last of all, there is the Welsh international footballer Simon Church. Who is not religious? Have you gone through the phone book under Amersham? I don't know. I know that doesn't exist, but what is this weird conspiracy theory you're putting out? It's just interesting when you notice that there's a lot of Christian connections. Speaking of um, massively famous sports people, like what was he called? Simon Church. Simon Church. (laughs) Good grief. Um, The one famous person who was religious um, was Jonathan Edwards, who still, I think, has the world triple jump record. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, If not, he had it quite recently, Uh, but he. Was such a devout Christian that he refused to jump on Sundays. Oh. Um, what a great so, way to beat him! Wait, wait, wait! Would he would he hop and skip? <laughs> 
<laughs> but not jump. He, he refused to compete on Sundays. Oh, I don't sorry. know if during his normal life he was allowed to jump up and down. Or not. And here comes Jonathan Edwards absolutely plowing into the hurdles as he does every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> he's now dragging 14 hurdles behind him. But he's going to heaven, so... Um, so what would happen? Well, he just, in the 1991 World Championships, he just didn't compete. He right. would have probably won right. gold, but he didn't wow. want to do it because it was on a Sunday. And he went on to host Songs of Praise, so he's quite famous. Yeah. Did he? Oh. Yeah. Did not know that. Uh, and he became an atheist when, this is quite ironic, so he was reading about the road to Damascus when St. Paul became a Catholic, mm. okay? Uh, St. Paul converted when he saw a light on the road to Damascus, and it made him turn around and um, stop being a tax collector and become a apostle of Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but he, Jonathan Edwards, read that St. Paul might have had an epileptic fit and not seen a light after all, mm. and he became an atheist after reading that explanation. So ironically, he'd read about the road to Damascus and had like a reverse road to Damascus moment. Yeah, That's brilliant. Wow. Was he was he too old to still compete at this point? He was. Yeah, that was after he. What a child. shame! Doubly piss you off, wasn't it? When Sundays are now available to you. <laughs> yeah, I could have had that nineteen ninety one. And who's this bursting onto the track? My goodness, an elderly Jonathan Edwards. He's behind everyone else. He's losing badly. He's last. <laughs> um. In um, 1686, there was a treatise written by a clergyman called John Baptiste Thiers, and it was a very famous big deal. And this is around the time when people thought laughing was really bad. And he gave such strict um, rules on when you're allowed to laugh. So he said, you're only ever allowed to laugh discreetly and never on work days, Sundays... So that does cover quite a lot of days. <laughs> <laughs> Lent days, Advent or Holy days. So um, you're basically, you've got about 30 Saturdays. <laughs> Saturdays. Yeah, you're allowed to. Jeez. Get it out your sister. Well, you're not masturbating on a Saturday. Oh, so well, no, you, got time. you are, aren't you? That's yeah, your big you day. Oh, no, God, between laughing are. and masturbating, that's a hell of a day. <laughs> Can you do them simultaneously? <laughs> you're going to have to. What are you doing in there? I'm laughing. <laughs> Don't come in, I'm laughing. <laughs> Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is Andy. My fact is that at least four seconds of the film Avatar was funded by Wayne Rooney. <laughs> there's just that bit where there's an amazing strike on goal isn't there by one of the Navi people and then it's back to the plot line so amazing um, for any international listeners Wayne Rooney's a big footballer he's probably global. he might be globally famous he plays in America yeah. I did okay, 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 okay. at least yeah. the Americans might know him well he's he's a footballer formerly nicknamed the spud faced nipper uh, he's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am a big football fan and I've never come across that yeah. nickname. I think it's the one thing I heard about him in probably, you know, 2002 and it's just yeah. stuck. Um, yeah. Anyway, this is from a book uh, by a colleague of mine actually from Private Eye called uh, Richard Brooks and the book is called The Great Tax Robbery mm. and um, this is about a tax scheme that was set up um, which uh, it included investing in movies and mm. it, it meant you could, you could claim a, a large amount of tax off. So... Mr. Rooney put in at least £100,000 because I think that was... Rooney. Sorry, Rooney. No Let's just call him Spud Face. Yeah. <laughs> Try and make up to him after that slanderous comment. Sorry. <laughs> he put £100,000 in the scheme and the film is 162 minutes long and yep. it cost £237 million, uh, pounds, I think. Oh, maybe dollars. Um, 
Anyway, the maths works out roughly at that. Oh, hang on, a pound is worth a dollar these days. Fine. Um, <laughs> a time of recording. <laughs> yeah. Um, and sadly, we'll probably never know which four seconds. I did actually write to Wayne Rooney's people asking which four seconds. Which four seconds? They don't allocate money Andy. to. What? <laughs> there isn't a specific force. I just thought maybe for special investors they would say, oh you know, God. oh, this is what your this is what it's helped fund. Like maybe. if it was a Kickstarter, they might say, well, your hundred grand went to this far second. Exactly. Right. Or you know, funded the, the development of this particular animal in the Avatar yeah. jungle. And there's that bit in Avatar, isn't there, when Bob Geldof actually took back his hundred thousand, and it's just missing four seconds, isn't it, during the film? Um, um, yeah, they haven't he, got back to me yet, but uh, if right. you go on this scheme, they have on their website, which still exists, it shows all of the movies that they invested in. Really? Uh, and they include Shaun of the Dead, mm-hmm. um, Sharknado Two, brilliant, uh, and a movie called Brooklyn. And the interesting thing about that is that David Beckham was also an investor, and he has a son called Brooklyn. True. So he gave some money for Brooklyn and also created another Brooklyn. Brilliant. Very nice. Nice. (laughs) Great movie, by the way. Coincidence? I didn't think the scheme was still going. I thought it had been kind of shut down. Well, they have a website with all the different movies. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so so there is a big list of people. It's not just Wayne Rooney. It's not just Wayne Rooney. Yeah. Um, No, but so like uh, David Beckham, Andrew Lloyd Webber, there's... um, I saw him in the park the other day. Yeah, I, I wonder where this anecdote is going. Probably nowhere. <laughs> oh, absolutely nowhere. Yeah, actually, Dan mentioned Tim Rice uh, oh, yeah. a while ago, and I, I thought about jumping in with it then, but um, <laughs> I'm so glad I held fire. No, there is a good, there is a good anecdote with this because you did mention it. Yeah, yeah, he was. Already. He, he, uh, his dog was uh, terrorizing a gosling. Uh, and Ryan um, Gosling, <laughs> sadly, <laughs> yeah. Ryan Gosling's a real Freddy cat. Um, no, no, no. His his dog was barking at a, a tiny, tiny baby Gosling, okay, and um, well. I was so shocked that it was Andrew Lloyd Webber that I forgot to say, oh, I, I think actually it's meant to be on a leash in this bit. And um, oh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had the. Are you missing the main point, which is that I mentioned on the show that oh, yeah. he hated the movie Cats so much that he went out and bought a dog. It yeah. pissed him off so much, and That's you've right. now seen the I've dog. I've seen the dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a nice dog. Well, it's not very nice. Sounds like it was terrorizing a baby goose. It's just doing what dogs do. It's the owner's fault. It's, ne- it's never a problem dog. It's a problem owner. You're right. Blame the parents. So Bob Geldof <laughs> and uh, David Beckham, Roy Keane. <laughs> Want to slag off Roy Keane now? Andy? Good luck. <laughs> Geldof reckons he owns a brief second. So maybe his hundred thousand was used on catering or something, <laughs> uh, and then a tiny bit for the film. Mm. Lots of men. Do you think women aren't as prone to investing in shit films just as a way of? avoiding paying tax legitimately i don't know could it be um is the biggest grossing movie of all time technically a shit film i was maybe had sharknado in my head oh how dare you that's a brilliant film sharknado 2 oh even better is that the one we're talking about yeah yeah it's very example of the sequel being better than the original just like terminator and alien (laughs) yeah yeah. although alien uh aliens was james cameron as well wasn't it It james cameron this Mm. is again Mm. the thing about avatar is it's 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 the biggest film of all time the yeah. biggest grossing film of all time and yeah. i think the maybe se- avengers might have beaten it or? it did for a while so oh, really then it re-overtook didn't it's a it? really interesting story uh, sorry to derail you no, a second no. andy here but when it came out initially it came out in china in 3d and there was this big controversy sorry, which one are you talking about? avatar the first movie yeah. there was a big controversy which it's really hard to get to the bottom of what really happened but 
a lot of the 3D showings of it in China were pulled from the cinemas. And the story goes that the reason that happened is China had a domestic film, which was Confucius with Chow Yun-Fat, which they wanted to really dominate the box mm. office and Avatar was doing that. So they took the 3D movie out and left the 2D in, but it really hurt their box office amount in China. It still became the biggest box office hit of all time until the Avengers Endgame came along and overtook it. However, in the lead up for Avatar, the second movie, which is coming out this year, they put a re-release of the original. <laughs> and in China, in China specifically right. where the the box office has now boosted it back over That's Avengers so yeah. do you think so did James Cameron have a sly word with Xi Jinping on the side <laughs> and say look mate do me a favor do me a Good publicity. Um, the China thing by the way it's um, the place where it's based is it I haven't seen Avatar but is it called Pandora yeah I think. Pandora so it's based apparently on a place called Zhang Jia. Uh, which is in China. It's a national forest park. And in fact, it was the first in China. And it's got these amazing pillars. Like, um, there's a place in Greece called Monastero, which is more famous, which is like the kind of big bits of rock that just kind of stick up from the ground. Mm. Anyway, supposedly, um, Pandora was based on this area. And in this area, they also have the world's tallest lift. <laughs> cool. The world's tallest no. outdoor lift, I should okay, say. So I've got a question. Yeah. Is it the shaft that's tallest or is it the lift? When you say oh, the tallest lift, is it yeah. lift a giraffe could walk into and be fine? I honestly haven't written down which it is, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's taller than any buildings in London. It's taller than the Shard, for instance. Uh -huh. It's 326 wow. metres high. The Shard is 309 metres high. I'm assuming okay. that is the shaft. That's of probably the, the shaft, not the lift. Because <laughs> yeah. imagine the shaft. If that's the... Well, well it might just be one floor it's going up, but it happens to be very tall. Um, but no, it is. It's the shaft. <laughs> that's um, so cool. And it's so that you can get up to a viewing platform to see the to see the area. Right. But Shangjiajie, which is the, the mountain range, they've named one of the columns Avatar Hallelujah Mountain, and it's because of the film. So China had a very problematic relationship with this film initially, mm -hmm. and it's really come good. Because yeah. uh, they did say that the, one of the reasons they might have pulled it is because um, the Chinese people might have empathized with the um, blue people in Avatar, and it might have shown them their own plight. Because like a lot of Chinese people were being kicked out of their houses so they could build new cities, all that kind of thing. And, right. yeah. and Avatar is about a colonial invasion of is blue it? people, isn't it? Yes, yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are these things in the world of Avatar. They're called the Banshee. Yeah, and they're they're basically dragons. Um, I'm just saying that quietly because James Cameron very strongly denies that they're dragons, but. Huh. And he can't hear softly spoken things, <laughs> <Yeah>. can he? <laughs> He's lost so much hearing from filming Aliens and Terminator yeah. 2 that, um, no, but they're, you know, they're. What can they do? Can they breathe fire and fly and they have tails and they're like lizards? Uh, the last three things, not the first one. I don't think mm. they breathe fire. Anyway, no. they, 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 okay. I mean, they're pretty dragon. The main one's called Puff. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, um, they had to come up with an, an entire workout for the cast so they could ride these fictional CGI animals mm. because he wanted them to have a very realistic style. You know, they were filming all this motion capture stuff, kind of um, the golem style of filming. Yeah. Um, so they created the Banshee Buns of Steel workout so that they could be filmed riding these things. <laughs> and, cool. and when they filmed them, they... You know, you might get the actor. So Zoe uh, Zoe Saldana is one of the, the two stars of it, and she um, she has to jump onto one of these things at various points in the film. Mm. And you know, you might think, oh, we'll just film her jumping onto uh, a saddle or a you know a vaulting horse or whatever, yeah, yeah. and they would just use that motion capture. They actually filmed her jumping onto a massive stuntman wearing a saddle <laughs> because they want James Cameron was so insistent he wanted the real. You know, I want her to be jumping onto a living being. You know, that get the flex of the movement. What? Sorry, where was the stuntman? 
wearing a saddle because either he'd have to be on all fours, in which case he must have been on all fours. Must have been, but yeah. then he's very small; she has to crouch down to climb onto him. Or was he wearing it on his head, and then she has to vault onto him? <laughs> 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 he had stilts on each. Yeah, I know what you're saying. He could have been on a platform. Maybe he was on a platform. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Great point. I haven't seen footage of it. I've only read descriptions. He sa- he sounds. Uh, like he was quite an atrocious director to work for in, in that sort of he really pushed people and was really rude and he had got his way and if you didn't do things then you were in a lot of trouble one thing that he would do is he would wear a hat on the first day of filming which would have on it H-M-F-I-C and that would stand for head motherfucker in charge and the idea was don't get in my way uh kate winslet said she would never work with him again because of how much he pushed her on the titanic movie she almost drowned for example even though she's in the latest avatar she had the door (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's true we should probably talk a little bit about how why it was such a big deal i suppose because it was so groundbreaking in the technology it used it sounds really cool to act on because actors were so used to having to wear these really hefty prosthetics if they wanted to play anything that Mm. didn't look exactly like a human so um, they, I think it was inspired by Spider-Man 2, where Alfred Molina plays the villain. And he was- Dr. The f- Octopus. Yeah, Dr. Octopus. Uh-huh. And they first used motion capture on his face by putting lots of little beads all over it, like reflective beads. Mm. And then a camera films all of those reflective beads. Um, and automatically they can pick up the data of exactly how they move, depending on what facial expressions you make. And then- a computer can regenerate those exact facial expressions. So if you smile, then it makes your octopus man smile. Exactly. But in a really realistic way, because otherwise they're just stretching a smile on a computer screen. It looks terrible, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's really cool because it actually means that you don't have to have a camera in the right place ever because Mm. because, um, the computers are capturing every single angle of your movement. You can decide later on when you're doing the computer, you know, computer generated film editing, which angle you want. You'd be like, actually, wow. I want the camera on this side of them. And the oh, computer's got clever. all the data for how your face that's moves. That's so clever. I hadn't thought of that. Um, there's one big problem with Avatar. Oh, yeah? The breasts. Uh, I know, no that... one's paid to touch them. <laughs> <laughs> I, read, I read a report of the science of Avatar and whether, you know, whether this world could exist and all of these aspects. And there was one very snotty line in it. It said, the females, female Navi aliens even have breasts even though Cameron admits they aren't placental mammals <laughs> that's a good oh, point yeah. what a what a what a plot hole that it is, is. That's, that's yeah. it. well because he was very careful he had all these years to put it together so um the <laughs> main like he had a botanist on set who yeah, did yeah, all yeah. of the naming of the plants mm-hmm. um he had a linguistics expert professor come in and write the language yeah, which yeah, was yeah. up to a yeah, thousand yeah. words for the movie um, in fact, you know what's really odd? He did so many from scratch things, yeah. language and right. botanist. But then the sounds that they use for the animals were taken from Jurassic Park. <laughs> so really? when you hear, not all of them, but when you hear a bunch funny. of the yeah, so did they, they use the T Rex and they use the Raptor when it's yeah. in the kitchen. Did they have famous people in it? Like, uh, at the yeah, Zoe Saldana really... and Sam Worthington. They, 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 they weren't kind of mega stars, but right. they were sort of. Could reasonably well known. Worthington was homeless at the time. He was living in his yeah. car when he did the audition. I read that as well, and I wondered if they decided, okay, we're going to spend all of our money on this stuff. <laughs> Let's get slightly shitter actors because it yeah. doesn't matter. We're going to put dots on their faces anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and the sound bit. Let's just take the stuff from Jurassic Park. That's fine. Like how they had they to get, save money here. In how do they get to two hundred million dollars? Just all making everyone blue. That's all it. Dots. Yeah, yeah. So many yeah. stickers. One other thing they spent money on the cigarette. So Sigourney Weaver is in it, and yeah. she's obviously. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant 
And she's in it, and her character smokes. Um, but the cigarettes in the film are CGI cigarettes. Yeah, odd. And I tried to find out why, and I read a few articles about this. That I found no explanation. She held a toothpick, what? and does she not just CGI'd. not smoke? Maybe. I can't imagine Sigourney Weaver not smoking. <laughs> I, can't, I can't picture it. No, and, and then he got in loads of trouble for depicting smoking. Um, Did he? In the film. Oh, yeah. Um, various anti-smoking groups said this is very irresponsible to show anyone as cool as Sigourney Weaver smoking. And he said, but pe- people do smoke. Uh, mm. It shows a lot of trust from the actors, doesn't it? That <laughs> if, if he's like, yeah, that thing in your hand, I'm going to definitely make it a cigarette. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah. make it anything else. Wobble it around <laughs> a bit and then little... put it up your bum. Uh, it will be a cigarette. <laughs> It's not going to be a tiny dismembered penis. Is it? Like, <laughs> I wasn't thinking that. Oh, okay. I was thinking like a kazoo or something. But like, oh, yeah. I mean, it could be anything, kind of you know, you don't know. Like, but that's what I mean. If you do a normal movie, you you've done your scene and you know that that yeah. scene is going to be how it is. Yeah. But they could have put anything on your face, couldn't they? Yeah. They yeah. could, in fact, I imagine it would be the press of a button to redo <laughs> the entirety of Avatar, but they're all worms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That'd be great. Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. And Anna. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at no such thing, or our website, no such thing as a fish.com. Do check it out because what you'll find there is links to all of our previous episodes as well as the opening gate to the world of Club Fish, the exciting membership club where you can get behind the scenes access to all of the extra content that we make, as well as compilation shows and a Discord where people chat and share things that they like about the show. It's really fun. Check it out. Or don't like. Or, you know, uh, well, share they get, you hate about they, the show. They get kicked off. Come and slag off fish. <laughs> <laughs> For just two forty nine a month, you get to touch Dan's boobs. <laughs> uh, anyway, if you don't want to do that, you can always just come back here because we come free of charge as well. Once a week, where you get your podcasts. But none Shut of up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm getting out of here. Bye. See you next week. <laughs>